Sex. 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 That word, sex. What does it mean to you? Do you enjoy talking about it? Do you like it? Are you having fun with it? With partners? With yourself? Are you comfortable with your sexuality? Do you have many questions you would like to answer about your own sex life? Everybody, everybody is curious about their own sex life and how to improve it and others. Human nature, we love it. Well, my next guest, ugh, I never felt so comfortable and relaxed talking about sex. That's right. She's amazing. And I got a lot of questions answered. So enjoy, have fun. As always, I really appreciate you sharing and listening and liking and rating and supporting us on Patreon. Toodles. This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Hello, hello, my Let's Keep It Real people. This is exciting. Number one, shout out to Dr. Sharna Stryer. How are you? Oh, I'm great. It's very nice to be here. What fun. What fun. What fun we're going to have today. So many questions. But first of all, are you in Florida? I love the background. Oh, thank you. Actually, this is my virtual background uh, designed by Gruskin and Company. You could see I have my name plaque, so the possibility of a very interesting and colorful and artistic background is available to everybody. I swear, I didn't know it was a background. I mean, it's not <laughs> like the other Zoom backgrounds. It's amazing. Like, I really felt it's, I want one of those for sure, but that's a I whole I want to live in this background. <laughs> oh, my God. It's gorgeous. All right, but before we get started, because I know we got a lot to cover, let me tell them a little about you. Cool? That would be wonderful. Thank you. Dr. Sharna Stryer, PhD, CNS, I did not know, a certified sex therapist and supervisor, is an expert in the area of sexuality, romance, and relationships. Dr. Stryer has taught human sexuality and communication courses at both the University of Michigan and Hunter College. She has also authored numerous articles, given many lectures, which I'm sure, and been featured on podcasts and TV on the topics of desire, romance, and communication, as well as on the methods of enhancing performance and pleasure in one's life. One of her areas especially is helping people in their 20s and early 30s navigate their lives and achieve their goals. Dr. Stryer has been in the private practice for over 20 years and is located in Midtown, Manhattan. Now, Indeed. let me just tell you, I met Dr. Stryer through one of our organizations, the Flow Belt organization. And after hearing her speak and people were asking her a ton of questions that had to deal with sexuality, I felt so comfortable with you. Like I can see Thanks. your clients are like, they feel like they can ask you anything, you know, and you have that very non-judgy, I'm just here to help, you know? So uh, I had to have you on my show. 
And it's truly the way I feel, you know? Yeah. yeah. Which I would think in this business, you're, they would know immediately and not want to be around somebody like that. So, all right, we're going to dive into your journey. But before we do that, what is one word that best describes how you have felt emotionally in the past 30 days? Enthusiastic. I think I'm getting on a good time. Okay. <laughs> Tell us why enthusiastic. Well, I, you know, a feature that defines me is my curiosity. Mm. And so I love the aspect of learning and growing and also moving. And so as the warm weather comes in, there's a lot more exercising. As I interface with my patients, there's a lot more to learn and experience through my patients. And as I do my work, and also in preparation for this talk, I, I decided, okay, I'm going to make it an experience also for myself. So I dove into better understanding the generation that's coming up, Generation Z. Ooh, that is fun. And I agree. I love learning new things. Seeking knowledge, so fun. And how long have you been in Florida now? I go back and forth to New York. Okay. And so I guess the last three weeks. Okay. Isn't it getting a little hot there? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it is 90 here. It is. And you may hear my air conditioner go on and off. So feel that you're receiving the breeze when you hear it. (laughs) Okay. So let's dive into the first question that many of my listeners had. And that's number one. They felt, I got this a lot, that during quarantine, like a lot of people said, okay, they were having more sex because, you know, there was nothing else to do. A lot of them said, maybe that's going to happen now, but they didn't feel in the mood because they were so upset and stressed. And they thought it would change as soon as things came back out. And this one young man says, yeah, I was thinking me and my wife, now that we're back out, it wouldn't be so tough. What can we do to light the fire again? We, it, we had a great sex life and then quarantine hit. We're so worried about the health of our family and our kids that we couldn't perform. I don't know if you hear this. And I think these people are 35. They're 35. Well, that has nothing to do with it, actually. They're in a fine time to be romantic, intimate, sexual. But I understand that you know, comment, because I dealt with that with a lot of my couples. Mm. Frankly, familiarity, which is a wonderful thing, it builds trust, intimacy, it doesn't oftentimes play well for sexual desire. So one has to be creative about it. And so oftentimes, since everybody's working, they're corner, you know, they're in their relaxed clothes, a suggestion is they have to make a date Mm. and they have to kind of even sort of dress up for it and create an ambiance that is encouraging, that is inviting, that is sensual. And then they begin to step into that environment in a way that, you know, can be enhanced with massage or playfulness That's the main thing, by the way, playfulness. Initially, the couples would say, well, I don't feel like it. I feel tired. I feel my body feels dull. And I would say, I understand just how you feel. However, 
you got to trust your body. So you step into the connection. You don't, you know, have the narrative of, oh my God, it's not going to work. I don't feel like it. I don't you know, I just saw him all day and now I'm going to have sex with him. Really? (laughs) (laughs) But you step into it in a way that you don't go just for the goal of penetrative sex, but for the goal of sensual connection. And when you step into that sensual connection bubble, which feels delicious, and what your body really craves, the desire comes forward. You allow it to come forward. So Mm -hmm. it's induced. That's the difference. It isn't that it's necessarily spontaneous. It's that you have to trust in an ongoing relationship that the connection and the touch will bring you to induced feelings of desire and arousal. You know, I'm thinking about that because you're right. You think, okay, we're home all the time. We have more time, but that wore off very quick. And now you're walking out and you're like, oh God, not you again. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's something to be said when the person goes off to work, the kid goes off to work, you, you get to miss them. Exactly. And you get also to step into your own rhythm, which is important. You know, your own expression of whatever you need in that moment of individuality. And so when you come together, you know, you step into it because it feels like there's a freshness to it. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right, because you could be in a nice top up here or suit and then they're in their sweats or whatever. And they don't get out of it or they don't have to make up so much because Zoom makes you look bad. (laughs) Thank goodness. No, but so many people said, oh, my God, I haven't put makeup on. They did something live with me. And the woman said, I haven't put makeup on in a year. I know. I know. And so if you're married, you know, not that makeup's necessary, but you're not dolling yourself up, like you said, going on a date. Exactly. Also, because of the enclosure and the, you know, close contact, in some ways, you kind of counter it by having that person be a little bit invisible to your mind. They're there, but are you really connecting? Are you in the moment? Or do you drift into your own space as a way of calibrating the situation? And when you drift into your own space and you don't reach for each other or lean into each other, it's hard to tap that energy of intimacy and desire. No, you know, this makes so much sense to me because you're like, you think, oh, they're there. They're going to be there. I'll see them again, whatever. But good thing is we are back out there again. So there's that too. I mean, people are going, I know. You know, like everything, everything's a trade-off. Now we're in that transition of stepping out. However, we've had a year and a half of really a lot of concern and for some serious trauma dealing with COVID and isolation. So Mm. as people are going out, I don't know if you're noticing it, but there's trepidation, there's uncertainty, there's excitement also. But it's kind of like renegotiating a past life and how do I want to interface with it? Mm. Yeah, you're right. No, I hear that all the time. Yeah, I thought it'd be just like, woohoo, but it's like, that's okay. That's normal. (laughs) It's normal. Exactly. 
It's it's also just understanding that you know it has been the most unusual time probably in everybody's life. Absolutely. And so one has to reflect on what the changes are and how it's impacting you. Yeah. Cut yourself a break, I always say. You know? Yes. It's okay. It's okay that you're not just woohoo. All right. So let's step back a little bit. How the heck did you get into this profession? I want to know everything. The journey. I mean, what sparked <laughs> your interest? Were you a therapist or a psychiatrist first? And then- it was a wild time, as this time is right now for Generation C. I mean, the 70s was the time of a lot of transition, particularly when it comes to sexuality, the women's movement, the gay movement, uh, racial issues were being addressed. And so at that time, I was a nurse, a registered nurse from mm-hmm. Boston University, And I went on for my master's in psych nursing. And part of the experience in New York was working at the free clinic in St. Mark's. And so I was one of those people that would sit there in the gynecological exam room, and I would have to take note of the runaway kids that came in with all kinds of venereal diseases. And at that time, we had to record who they were sexual with. And so I'm getting a rapid understanding of the need for sex education for myself, because I'm like, wow, this is wild. What a wild ride is is happening, as well as realizing how much the field needed to be uh, to address sexual needs. And the and the patients that I was seeing, they were operating on you know, unfamiliar, confused idea about sexuality. So when I went on for my PhD program at University of Michigan, that's the area that I got into. I developed a program and class on sex education and eventually sex counseling. I took it out to the community. Mm. University sponsored me to go, uh, go all over the Midwest and talk about uh, different aspects of uh, sexuality for healthcare professionals. And then I, I had a fun experience on TV where I was the expert on different aspects of sexuality and, you know, really continued to learn yeah. at each interval and opportunity that presented myself. And then I met Helen Singer Kaplan And she was a very well-known, world-renowned sex therapist. And I entered her program at Cornell Medical College, where I got a post, not post, excuse me, not postdoc, but an advanced degree and became certified as a sex therapist and joined her practice, Mm. then ran her research, then developed my own niche in this field. And... It's been great. It's been great. And I love the uh, the people that uh, my patients that I work with. And I must say, they are so open and particularly the millennials and uh, remarkably um, expressive and uh, willing to confront the issues that they're facing. 
Well, first of all, I know you're drawing them in because they just love your energy and you can see it. I was telling you before we started this, I could tell you anything and not feel like you were going to judge me, you know, and that's huge, 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 huge. All right. So were you always comfortable with your own sexuality? Absolutely not. Oh my God. (laughs) I I expect that. (laughs) No, I was one of those late bloomers. So there was, uh, you know, a bit of a shock value. But as I went along and I confronted different aspects of sexuality that were out of my range, but instead of backing away from it, I went toward it. Toward it, and not so uh, necessarily in enjoying the experiences, but being open to it, wanting to understand, wanting to be helpful to whatever problems came my way. So it's continuously learning. That's good to hear. That's very good to hear, you know? And I was wondering that because I have some friends and I was, we were just talking about the other day. You just meet them and they exude confidence in their sexuality. And, yeah. and my girlfriend said, well, you know, Sally Beth McCullough wasn't always like that. She went to therapy and worked on it. And I went, hoochie mama, that's awesome to hear. You know what I mean? So that was cool. All right, let's dive into it. This mother is concerned about her 18-year-old daughter. She opened her laptop or whatever, and all she finds on there is porn. Should she be worried? Now, I don't know if that's a whole thing is why she was on her 18-year-old. She says she just needed to use it, but she's concerned. What should she do? Should she even mention it? I mean, keep in mind, she's 18. You know, it's a tricky situation when you find that on your kid's uh, computer, and particularly since she's 18. Yeah. Um, porn is ubiquitous. I mean, it, it's been part of the culture from the beginning of time, but now with the computer, the digital age, you could be standing at a subway, you can be uh, wherever, and you could tap right into Pornhub. And anything and everything that you're interested in presents itself. So initially, when porn really became so widespread, there was the feeling that, okay, maybe this can also be part of sex education. And it does play a little bit of that role. However, it's like with the 18-year-old, the question is, how is it impacting her? What does it represent to her? How does it play play itself out in her Mm -hmm. life? It's not like a yes or no, it's good, it's bad. Yeah, yeah. Contextual. So I think I would not so much be wanting to encourage, oh my God, yeah. get rid of that stuff. Yeah. But more, tell me what this means to you. How is it using, uh, how are you using it? Don't like get shocked and, uh, or punitive or uh, afraid of it. Now, What is happening is some of the issues that I encounter when it comes to performance anxiety or issues around partner sex, I I wrote an article on this also, has to do with porn use. Because what does pornography do, which has been historically more of a male-oriented activity, but 
girls are beginning to, excuse me, females are beginning to enter into that, uh, which is going to be something to observe. And that is, what does it do? You have a strong visual stimuli. And so you turn it on, you're very goal oriented. Whoever is on the other side of it, typically a female or a couple or whatever your particular interest is, they are readily available. You don't have to enter in and warm them up. You Mm. get it right away. You get that dopamine hit right away. It doesn't allow you to fantasize because it's highly uh, dopagenic stimulants Mm. because it's right there in your face. For some, it encourages a, a quick time of ejaculation. For others, they could linger for hours, mm. but it doesn't allow them to access particularly their erotic mind. So then they enter in with a partner, having been trained from the very beginning of their sex life on pornography. Gotcha. And oh my God, there's a person there. I have to interact with a person. I have to kind of coordinate their need with my need. They, they're clueless. Yeah. And, yeah. So, and so the, the art of foreplay, the art of tapping into another person is not really developed in that process of porn use. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that because I've had some friends that are in, I guess they're in their late 20s saying, what the heck? I feel like I'm addicted to porn because during quarantine, that's all they were doing and masturbating. And now they had a few dates and they're like, they felt weird. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, almost a violation if someone comes toward them. Yeah. And so that's why you have to begin slowly. You don't jump right in like pornography suggests, but you have to begin, Mm -hmm. which I could talk about in a bit, in a way that fosters connection. But I want to get back to that woman for a minute, you know, the 18 year old daughter. (laughs) Yeah. The thing that I'm also noticing with females that I'm working with is the whole thing of compare and despair. So they compare themselves to the females on the porno sites Uh, and they're particularly hot, of course, and they are particularly wild when they orgasm, of course, or multiple orgasm. Mm. And they kind of feel this is what, you know, is expected of me. And so um, do I line up? Can I compare? Mm. And so it creates a mindset of essentially can I make the cut? And also, it also creates a sort of an imago that is a new image. Women are being, you know, which is interesting, more open, more assertive in their sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what is also interesting is the males that are coming in with concern around erections are saying, you know, these, these, this is a heterosexual group that essentially they're, they're worried that they cannot produce the erection and, then, and that the females 
are wanting to go quickly toward penetrative sex because Mm -hmm. partly because that's what they are are learning through the porno sites. So it's very interesting. It has my head spinning with so many things that people have written in. I'm trying, there's questions here. We could stay for three hours, but I want to pick them in order. And this one is a big one. This woman said her husband always wants to be the one to initiate. Uh Uh-huh. And that she didn't even realize it, but it had become a habit that they, he was always initiating. And she said last month she was feeling frisky, whatever. And she initiated and he was like, she thought he would love that. And she wrote pages about this. This is a whole therapy session, but she said, he was like, no, 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 no. What's gotten into you? That's what I do when I'm ready. And she doesn't know what to do. I mean, she, she said she was in tears because why would that be? Now, the only thing I'm thinking of, well, how long have they been married? I mean, that's the way it's been going on for how long, but I found that as a shock. I would think the guy would love that. You're bringing up such an interesting point that I see so much in my practice, and that is who initiates, how reciprocal is it, what happens when there's a change of pattern. Now, in this case, my guess, if I ask the guy, it's that he says, wait a minute, I feel that somehow I don't have control of the situation. Mm. I, and, and, it, and believe it or not, it oftentimes comes down, comes down to his fear of not being able to perform and for a man... That is the fear of the erection. I see. So if he initiates, he knows. Yes. He's got yeah, he the juice. He's going forward. It's in his grasp. He's, yeah. com- he's more confident. If he's taken by surprise, particularly if he is someone that feels that he has to come from a place of spontaneous desire, as opposed to what I talked about, where you step into it and the arousal comes forward. That's another part of it. So, but since you bring up the issue of initiation, I do find that oftentimes, at least in my, um, as I do my evaluations, that there's one party that tends to be more of the initiator. Mm -hmm. But what happens is, is that oftentimes that party gets tired of playing that role. And so we'll stop, we'll slow it down thinking, okay, I'm going to create an opportunity for my partner to step up and act. But that oftentimes does not happen. And so atrophy, sexual atrophy uh, sets in. They stop having sex Mm. because no one is initiating and they get caught. I can't tell you how often that is. They get caught in that sweet spot of no one's reaching out. Yeah, yeah. And so therefore I come in and I suggest different activities and I kind of become that person who encourages, who nudges them along. Mm. So most time in your... uh... Therapy sessions, are both people there? In my preference, I like it when it is like that. Mm. But a lot of times people are not coupled. So they will come to me and uh, talk about whatever their concerns are. And a lot of it is anxiety or depression driven. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. uh, Maybe it's an issue of gender uh, fluidity or uh, experimentation when it comes to sexual orientation um, or, you know, some issues of trust or betrayal in a relationship, which, of course, that concept is constantly in flux and really challenged in the digital Mm. age. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this husband, I got, a, by the way, I got so many from husbands, but we're trying to work it in, says he wants to try some new and different things with his wife, but he's afraid to bring it up and he doesn't know how to, that he's going to offend her. Do you have any advice? Yes. That it's always good to bring it up in a positive way, as opposed to geez, not, you know, there's a lack of energy in our sex life. And I thought we got to try some new things as opposed to, hey, and there's lots of material out there. Mm. Let's try some new things. I just heard, for instance, about a sex toy that could be fun. Or there's an, a couple of new lubricants uh, that could be interesting to try out. Or it might be fun to kind of create a date. And when you create a date, if I could speak on that, because it's all in the nuances. It's all what I call in setting the table. Mm. Like when you go out on a date, what do you do? Oh, you're right. I make sure that I get dolled up. I wear a new outfit. I get my hair done, you know? Right? I feel all fancy. And I, when I come down the steps, even after 20 years of marriage, I want my husband to say, oh, wow, you know, and I call it date night. Exactly. Exactly. So you're already in this place of psychological readiness. Yeah. You know, you're open to an experience. So that's part of it is one, your individual presentation, but also the environment. So if I tell a couple like this husband, okay, one thing to try is date night at home. So that means setting the table, which is the lighting, the music, tidying up, creating something kind of new and different. Not not like, you know, crazy trapeze, but even a lotion, a potion. Um, And then the most powerful way of connecting is through breath, really bringing in some of that mindfulness, because I don't know about you, but, you know, my head is in many directions. So how do you just quiet it down and step into the now? Everybody says, be in the now. The now is where the juice is. Well, how do you get there? How do you get there? You have to get there by taking a moment and just stepping into it through breath. And then you begin with sensual touch. You don't go right for the jugular. You don't go right for the genitals necessarily, Uh, but you could begin with sensual touch through back rubs, body rubs, and moving into it, enticing, creating desire. Yeah, I like that. And you know, I love that because I am all about presentation. Like. When I, yeah, I want the table a certain way because I want the atmosphere set. You're right. Of course. And then you could step into it. You're setting your stage. I, you know, I love that. Yeah. But another important ingredient is communication. 
Now, like the husband is saying, he's a bit afraid. I understand that. What is he afraid of? He's afraid of, I guess, hypothetically offending his wife. Rejection. Perhaps. But he also may be afraid of the intimacy that going deeper into some kind of sexual adventure could bring. So it's very interesting how issues of attachment play itself in on this. And I completely understand. There's so much that goes on with us that we don't even understand that are in play. So another part of setting the table is when I say quiet the mind, quiet down our internal narrative, like whatever it is, like, oh my God, I'm not going to satisfy her or... uh, you know, it's whatever it is. Usually it's a negative narrative, but instead lean in and focus on the sensation, exchange with each other. What is erotically a turn on? And, Mm -hmm. and uh, I guess be playful. I like that. (laughs) Okay. I love that. Great. It's simple, but it's, it's, I can see that would have a powerful effect. Okay. Big, 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 big question. Let's get the woman here. Her husband is 70. Okay. Not able to get an erection as much as he likes. She is not as upset about it. He is more upset about it because she enjoys all this and sensuality, blah, blah, blah. All right. What did she do to help him? First of all, you said a phrase that has to be immediately identified. He is does not get an erection as much as he would like to. Yes. He comparing it to his 17 year old erection. <laughs> I am telling Probably. you. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, there is reality, but that reality doesn't mean that the sex life is over. That means that you have to work with Aging, like all of us have to work with aging as we go along in a very positive, creative way. So he may need more time to get aroused through touch. Like maybe in the beginning of their relationship, he just looked at her and got an incredible heart on. But now he needs her to touch him or Uh, ignite certain fantasies. And that also might be that they have the conversation about what is erotic to them. So I would not be, I would not see it as a stop sign. Mm -hmm. I would see it as a moment to communicate with one another about kind of the fun and nuances of touch, of uh, fantasy and of pleasure. What about the um, medicines out there? Medicines, obviously, as well as disabilities, have an impact. But again, it's not a stop sign. It no. means you just have to manage it. So if you're on, for instance, SSRIs, the antidepressants that are serotonin-related, it can delay orgasms and yeah. it can quiet down some of the urgency, the feeling of that spontaneous you know, horny desire. Yeah. But again, it's uh, oftentimes a, a psychopharmacologist might prescribe Wellbutrin to offset the sexual side effect. Gotcha. Gotcha. 
But, but are there other things that men take? Because I know some of my friends will call me up and go, oh my God, he went all night. He took, I don't even know what it was. Oh, Viagra, Viagra. Yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, listen, whatever, whatever that person is comfortable with. Yeah. Viagra is great. And uh, they now have it where you could dose it every day. So you can uh, stay a little bit more spontaneous instead of the old fashioned way of, okay, let's see, we've got a half an hour here. <laughs> and Cialis, you know, um, yeah, yeah. but what, what I get is, if they are staying on the mindset of, I'm not what I used to be, then they're living in an experience of disappointment. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I think the, you know, the Viagras and all of that are great. They have their place, but what has more the place is the positive attitude and the open mindset about Mm. possibilities. Yeah. yeah. Communication. Communication is such a turn on. How do you get to that place that you get, and feel comfortable. Well, you, you share, you open up some of your mm-hmm. vulnerabilities, you listen. There's something so powerful and such a turn on to being listened to and being understood. Mm. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. It, yeah. It's hard to come What did by. he do? He just listened to me. <laughs> exactly. He got me. He got me. He actually listened and responded. Yeah. I, yeah, I have a funny, yeah, so some of my girlfriends, you know, they're divorced and they're, they're back out there. And we were out to dinner and one of the girls go, I don't understand. I always call them Sally Beth because I don't know Sally Beth. Sally Beth, what you see in him. And she said, he listened. He sat and listened to me at dinner. He didn't have any other arterial motive. He wanted to know about me. Game on. That was a turn on. We started cracking up. And I we- know. But the reciprocity of that is very important also. You know, Maybe. one could one could listen, be in a, a sort of a passive listening mode and just take it in and have an internal conversation about whatever. It's being able to reflect back. I call that paraphrasing. Yeah, this phrase called, (laughs) don't laugh, the three P's, which is the art of paraphrasing. So what I hear you say is, say that in your own words. So and that is more active listening, or perception check, which is, geez, you seem a little, I don't know, a little sad, a little angry, because Mm. if you don't check it out, you live in the experience as if it's true. And then pineapple, which is the third P, which is like pause that a couple a long time uh, time ago came out with that phrase where we're disagreeing and it's getting a little bit thorny. So pineapple, pineapple is the safe word where you part, you take a breath, you gain more objectivity and you come back to the conversation. So when you have the feeling of trust yeah. in the relationship, then you could really open up in yeah. so many ways. Yeah. yeah. I like, <laughs> oh my God, you're making me think of so many funny stories. I mean, <laughs> I have some, cause I have so many friends that are dating again. And so they tell me everything. And she said, 
this one guy said to her, you know, you guys think men have all the advantages, but you can fake it. We can't. We can't. And I know, I know what he was saying. Like, you know, you can use lubricant and da, 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 da. I, I either have an erection or not. And, you know, again, you know, I don't know, fifties or sixties. And I thought, I never thought about that. I know, but you see, but that also talks about that. They're only looking at the last note. It's like going to a symphony, putting your fingers in your ear and, you know, when the crescendo comes, that's what you hear. So they're thinking the whole thing is the orgasm. So I would take that moment and say, but hey, there's a whole journey there. And there's no way of faking the journey. Yeah, yeah. Good point, good point. It is, I have to say, I can see it being a little scary and nerve wracking if you've been married for 30 some years and then to go back out there dating, male or female. You know what I mean? And what do they expect? I'm not the same as I was in my 20s, right? Challenge is a challenge. And that's why um, easy to say, but positive regard, self-positive regard, self-esteem. We all change. We're all dealing with aging. Believe me, even my 20-year-olds. Yeah. Uh, lament about the fact that they're, they, you know, their teenage years are over. And so it goes. But we are where we are. We want to try to be the best version of ourselves. And probably the greatest culprit is our own self-criticism. Yeah. Because when you pick up that glow and that confidence from someone else, you know, you may look at them in a certain way, but you see that energy and that life coming through. Hmm. It's a turn on. Yeah. My son said something to me the other day and I keep reminding myself. I said, how are you doing? He goes, mom, I'm living my best life today. And I thought, what yeah. a great to borrow that. Yeah. <laughs> I like my that. Best life today, you know, yes. Where I'm like, okay, that's great. Yes. And it yes. wasn't sarcastic, you know? All right. Yes. Very good. Okay. Oh my goodness. I can't believe we're running out of time. I know that'd be so much fun. I know. It's so good. All right. So let's talk about the Gen Z group because a lot of parents have written, I have no clue what my kid's talking about. I, I got this over and over again. There wasn't a specific thing, but it was like, I don't even know what they're dealing with. And there's all this other stuff, you know, about being, um, making sure they respect gender neutral and transgender and, you know, all different things that I'm not even aware of and making sure that you address them the right way. And sometimes I know I make mistakes and I'm trying to understand, but so many parents are like, I'm not being closed minded. I really just have no clue what they're talking about. I must say that Gen Z, which is just really revealing themselves uh, in that the oldest is probably 24. It's sort of 1995. And yeah, or yeah, I'm going to answer it, but I just want to put a preamble. Okay. Think about if you grew up where the digital access was right from the beginning of time. You probably had an iPad in your hand before you know it, or 
mm. you know, some kind of phone. And therefore, you are hearing and reaching out to all kinds of places as you grow up through high school. How does that affect you? How does it affect you that think about the time they went through? I mean, all kinds of things have happened in their young life that is transformative. And so the end result is they're very diverse. They're multicultural. Maybe they haven't left their backyard, but they're on that digital world and they're talking to all kinds of people. Um, their sexual orientation is non-binary and expansive. So it's not like I'm gay, I'm straight. Yeah, yeah. All kind, you know, uh, seven or eight. And by the way, in Thailand, there's like 17 or 18 uh, names of um, sexual orientation, pansexual, bisexual, gay, trans, and queer, of course, is a word that has come back that encompasses, uh, you know, a lot of, you Mm. know, not being heteronormative. Yeah. And also they're gender fluid. And that is, I think, the thing that marks them particularly as a demarcation from the millennial generation, that they were put in a position of not not thinking necessarily of male, female, but a person who does not identify as having a fixed gender. Mm gender fluid. How do I feel today? How do I want to be treated? How do I want to act? Uh, So they're not fixed. So you have a curious, expansive, Mm. perhaps confused. Uh, You know, we may look at them as confused. Some may say they're confused. Yes, some are. But they're curious. And maybe they're bringing out and communicating what many of us uh, might have said if we were inspired to look at ourselves Mm. that way. Yeah. So therefore they see themselves as very different going through their own journey. And there's so many words. I had to have a glossary of terms to understand the, the language and TikTok is also a a big feature when it comes to determining um, style and nudity is exchanging naked pictures tends to be more acceptable. Yeah, no big deal, no big deal. Yeah, yeah, it's it's actually rather fascinating as to where that's, you know, it's all gonna go. Well, I know this, there's, a young lady that lives down the road from me. And I, I think she's 17 or 18. And we were talking one day and she's like, no, you can't call me this, you know, call me, let's say Bill. I said, okay. And that's how I want to identify. I said, okay. You know, and then she came over and she sat on my porch. She said, saying, I want to be honest with you. I really don't know yet how I identify, but I can tell yeah. you this. I don't really want to be pigeonholed. I mean, it's bringing tears because she was as a male or a female. Exactly. And I want to be more open to explore. And I think that's the thing I'm getting 
from this generation. And my son said, mom, you really have to take the time to understand the terms more because he's 17. So I mean, he's in that age that I have. They might refer to themselves as the pronoun they. Yeah. And uh, and I'm okay with that. I think it's going to take some education on our part. Yes. To really say, I want to understand this. And I do respect what you want to be called. I might make a mistake, I told her, because I've known her as a female. You know what I mean? And I might get confused, but that's not disrespect. And that's where they have to be understanding. We're we're trying. We're trying. But I did feel a little emotional about her being confused and she was upset you know what I mean that where she was going in it and then I have other kids that are like this is how I identify and that's it and this is the path but I do know some of the parents are saying no matter how much they love their kids it is difficult when they had a boy or girl and now they want to transition into the opposite absolutely and and I'm sure they're they're a bit afraid of what this will be for them. Yeah, yeah. I can understand that. Yeah, that's tough for everybody. Yeah, it's a new road. I mean, it's been a road that started, I guess, in the 60s when Harry Benjamin uh, coined the phrase transsexual and uh, wrote about the transsexual phenomena. You know, it was Mm -hmm. sort of more on the fringe and then John Money got involved and then the surgery occurred for about 20 years and then they stopped it at John Hopkins and it's been a journey. And now transgender has sort of embraced it in a slightly different way where in some ways they're not pursuing the the full range of uh, surgical interventions, uh, but expensive. It's expensive. Yeah, the duality of their presentation, but um, it's more mainstream. And so, you know, they're curious, but it's also so much in the environment, so much in the digital world that it's it's kind of um, enticing. Mm. It's hard to know exactly yeah. how it's going to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think just like you were saying all along, it's a matter of having, because there's not any just one answer of, like you said, well, why are you, what what is porn bringing to you? You have to have the open communication with your kid. Why do you want to do this? How do you feel? Because it's not just one simple answer, you know? Right. And you definitely, I would think for something like this, want to have a therapist involved, you know, to help the family through. Yes. It certainly can be helpful just to have an open discussion. The therapist, you know, role is not to judge it. Yep. To help people talk more openly about things. Yeah. 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 I think that would be really important. All right. Well, we could stay on that subject for a long time, but we have to wrap it up. And I just want to get this one last question. We're going to switch gears totally. This woman, which I think you're kind of already answered it, said, I just turned 60. And I'm back out in the dating field. And she has these emojis. Ah! Help. What can I do to not judge myself and to feel sexy, uh, sexy at 60? I, yeah, sexy well, at 60. Sexy at 60 is an attitude. And then really stepping into, I guess, feeling your physicality. You know, moving. 
dressing in a way that flatters yourself. It's really about how you feel about yourself because what is sexiness? What is appeal? You know, it is particular to the viewer, but the, oftentimes the viewer is ourselves. Mm. So you got to lose the self-criticism. You got to see the possibilities and you've got to realize you don't need a partner necessarily to validate yourself. You can strut in life feeling proud, empowered. Yeah. But the most important thing is to be part of a community. Encourage your friends. I agree. The possibilities. It doesn't necessarily have to, you know, this heteronormative uh, lifestyle is not the end all. Yeah. I agree. I, I was just with one of my friends and we were working on a project and we were talking about the importance of having your tribe, your peeps, your community. And she was saying about this one woman that we know is back out there. She's like, but all her friends are 35 and 40, you know, and that's most of her friends and married. She needs to get a whole new set. (laughs) I think of people she can relate to, then she won't feel like such the odd, you know, person out. It's really important, I think. You know, because they'll understand you more. They'll understand what you feel like as you, you know. Yes, but you know what? I wouldn't rule out couples being sensitive to it. Like uh, in this, uh, to return to Gen Z, they're much more open to polyamorous relationships. And it's kind of interesting because couples can reach out to individuals, which they call unicorn. Good point, good point. Not, I'm not saying that that's the alter, you know necessarily the way to go, but I wouldn't I wouldn't avoid thinking in a binary way. Yeah, I'm part of the group or I'm not. You know, couples can be wonderful friends. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, Dr. Stryer, this has been so much fun and so helpful. I love it. Lighthearted, answered a lot of questions. How can they find you? Where can they reach you? They can reach me through my website, which is sharnastryer.com. They can email me at drstryer at gmail.com. And that's D-R-S-T-R-I-A-R at gmail.com. Or they could call me at 212-532-3945. And I would welcome their calls. Woohoo! All right. Will you come back again? Because I'm sure we're going to have a slew more questions after this. It would be my pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy your background. And I can't wait to see you in New York when you're back up. We have to get together. I would love that. Now that we're out and about, you know? Wonderful. Wonderful. All right, my let's keep it real people. You know what I'm going to say. Until next time. Toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.